All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Ville Chillin' Podcast, part of the Villain ENT Network. My name is Aaron. My name is Jack. And make sure to check us out on your favorite podcast service. Give a follow and a rating. It all helps. And also make sure to like, comment, and subscribe uh, to this channel below and check out our other channels. Phil uh, Grillin isn't really up, I guess, right now, but... Jack's doing work on the Ville Gaming, so... Hit some nice uh, combos on the Tony Hawk. Hell yeah. And uh, make sure to join the Discord if you want to kind of get involved or, like, play games if, you know, depending on that dang cross-platform thing that comes up. But I know he's got PlayStation and I'm on PC, so either way. Um, with that... Oops... Today, we'll be continuing our People of Kentucky series. Um, kind of someone we've briefly mentioned before in our first episode on Hunter S. Thompson. Make sure to check out that video when you get a chance. Thompson was actually supposed to cover the rumble in the jungle between George Foreman and Muhammad Ali. And ultimately, he didn't make the fight. So there's reasons explained for that. So make sure to check out that episode but just thought it was a good introduction into Muhammad Ali. So um, I think before we really get started, I think it's fair to say that Ali is probably one of the most famous sports stars like ever. Definitely. You know what I mean? Definitely <laughs> like transcends um, state, country, international. Yeah. I mean... The rumble in the jungle was a prime example. I mean, he went to Africa and everybody loved him. Like, I mean, there was the whole saying and everything. Um, what was Ali Boumaye? Ali Boumaye? Yeah. So it's awesome. So most people know he's from here because he is such a iconic person. But we figured it's still worth doing an episode on because he is so iconic and. I mean, in the Louisville culture. So uh, he was born January 17th, 1942 in Louisville, Kentucky as Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr. Um, he was named after his father, who was actually named after a 19th century uh, politician, also from Kentucky. Uh, his father was a sign and billboard painter and his mother was a domestic helper. Cassius actually attended Central High School and was diagnosed dyslexic, leading to problems in reading and writing. And growing up in the midst of racial segregation, his mother recalled times where he was denied a drink of water. And uh, the 1955 murder of Emmett Till led to Clay and a friend actually vandalizing a local rail yard. So between dealing with learning difficulties in school and then all that stuff going on. He didn't have an easy time from the start, you know? Um, and all that really, really impacted him when he was younger. And he was first introduced to boxing by a Louisville police officer and boxing coach, Joe Martin, who ran into clay when he was 12 years old. And he was just fuming over his bike being stolen. And young Cassius actually told the officer he was going to whoop the thief if he ever found him. And the officer said, well, boy, you better learn how to box first, <laughs> basically. Um, so 
Clay didn't take it seriously at first, but he started gaining interest in boxing after seeing a local program called Tomorrow's Champions. And that's when he began training with Fred Stoner and later training with Chuck Bodak. Um, his amateur debut came in 1954 against Ronnie O'Keefe, winning by split decision. And then he went on to win six Kentucky Golden Glove titles, two national titles, and an Amateur Athletic Union national title, as well as the light heavyweight gold medal in the 1960 Summer Olympics in Rome. His amateur record was 105. Uh, so 100 wins, five losses. Man, he was a beast. <laughs> like, it kind of plays into it. Uh, we're about to talk about it in a second, but when he talked big game, like, yeah, I mean, professional is totally different than amateur, but I think he definitely proved himself in the amateurs. <laughs> um, so Clay actually first heard of the Nation of Islam while participating in Golden Glove tournaments in 1959. Um, so that was his first introduction to the nation. Um, he didn't get overly serious with it yet, though. Um, his first professional match was in 1960 when he won a decision over Tunney Hunziker, achieving a record of 19-0 and 0 with 15 knockouts by 1963. So that's pretty... That's a pretty good record in, what, three years? Um, having attended his first nation meeting in 1961, he continued attending nation meetings but kind of hid the fact from the public. And in 1962 is when Cassius met Malcolm X, who um, Cassius pretty much considered him his spirituality and political mentor based on everything going on at the time, and they became pretty close. And it was also during the same time in his career when he adopted his self-described big mouth after meeting professional wrestler Gorgeous George Wagner, who basically told him that talking a big game would bring paying fans. It's like basically they either want to see you win or see you get knocked out, but they all got to pay. You know, that's definitely true, and he capitalized on it. Um. In 1963, before fighting Sonny Liston, Malcolm X and other members of the nation were seen in Clay's entourage, which is kind of when it came out that Clay was involved with the Nation of Islam. And at first, he wasn't even given entry into the nation. He was just seen with like Malcolm X and things like that. And the fight with Sonny Liston actually almost got canceled because of the controversy that kind of came up around him being seen with the nation. But after he right. beat Liston, like, like, uh, sorry, I'm uh, oh, sorry. Like a lot of people refused to even like acknowledge it. Like a lot of, mm -hmm. the, you know, people would, uh, in the racism would, uh, refuse to call him by, you know, that name and just, continue to call him caches so yeah um but he kept at it you know yeah and it was actually right after he beat liston for the title in 1964 that the nation was more receptive um i guess he had become such a national icon you know and the nation accepted him and the relationship was made truly public and not long after malcolm x bestowed the name cassius x to clay but it was kind of at the time Malcolm X and the nation weren't on the best of terms. 
and Elijah Muhammad ended up giving Clay the name Muhammad, meaning one who is worthy of praise, and Ali, meaning most high. And that's how he was given the name Muhammad Ali. And around the same time, so mid-60s, he moved to Chicago, and that's when he married his first wife. But her refusal to join the nation led to various quarrels, and they ended up divorcing in 66. Um, Ali continued to fight until his arrest in 67, when he was arrested for refusing to step forward during his induction into the U.S. Armed Forces during the Vietnam draft. Um, So not only was he fighting racism and then, you know, the whole thing going on with the nation of Islam and everything, you got him fighting the draft too, man, this, this guy didn't stop fighting his whole life, man. (laughs) Those those interviews too, at the time when he was talking about like, man, like he's saying those people aren't, you know, they're they're not trying to fight me or anything. Like, why do I want to fight them? Yeah. Well, and he even, um, since he con- he considered himself a conscious a conscientious objector, stating that the war is against the teachings of the Quran as well, and that he could not take part in the war for that reason too. Um, and then not only was he arrested, but later that day, the New York State Athletic Commission suspended his boxing license and stripped his heavyweight title, with other boxing commissions following their lead, which pretty much prevented Ali from boxing professionally for over three years, which for a fighter is a long time to not be in the ring. That's a good portion of your career. Like it, It's just funny that... For a uh, lot of people. It's funny that a lot of people were trying to say that he was like a coward or something when like he would have destroyed them. Like, like <laughs> right. For them to say like he was a coward. Like Right. Yeah. Let him say that to Mike Tyson, see what would have happened. Right. Like, <laughs> um, so he also received a lot of threats over the years, and he was arguably the most hated man in the country during that time. Like, it was pretty severe. At the trial, the jury found Ali guilty after less than 30 minutes of deliberation, and he was found guilty of violating the selective service laws by refusing to be drafted. Ali appealed the decision, but the court upheld the conviction, leading the case to the Supreme Court review. And Ali re- managed to remain free through the whole ordeal. And in June 1971, the Supreme Court overturned the conviction by unanimous t- decision. Of course, it was 71. <laughs> I mean, when did the Vietnam War end? I'm not really good with years, but I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting that he he was guilty, guilty, and then it goes to the Supreme Court and a unanimous decision overturns it. Um, but during the time he couldn't box. So he spent a lot of time like speaking at universities and seminars and involving himself in politics and, the um, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say right there, but you know, he just, he kept himself busy with other things. And, uh, one big seminar that he gave to Howard university, uh, he gave a speech called that was titled black is best. Um, and during the whole hiatus from boxing, he married his second wife, who he stayed married to until 77. Uh, while his case was still pending appeal, so right before it was overturned, uh, Ali was granted a boxing license by the Atlanta Athletic Commission, and he fought Jerry Quarry 
on October 26, 1970, resulting in a win due to cuts sustained by Quarry after just three rounds. And a month prior to that, the Supreme Court victory forced New York to reinstate Ali's license, and he was able to fight Oscar Bonavena at Madison Square Garden in December 1970, where he won by TKO in the 15th round, leaving Ali as top contender for the heavyweight title against Joe Frazier. So that's pretty impressive, actually. You know, a lot of people, when they fight and they're out of the ring for so long, they don't just come back, win two fights, and they're top contender again, you know, especially in boxing. And then by now, a knockout, too. Yeah. <laughs> so his fight against Frazier was held at the Garden in March 1971 and was called the fight of the century due to the astounding amount of excitement surrounding the two undefeated fighters. Both fighters hyped up the fight with plenty of trash talk and insults, but the fight ultimately ended in defeat for Ali via unanimous decision, resulting in his first professional loss of his career. Um, Ali had numerous wins over the next several years, and in 1972, he actually, while still training and boxing, he went on the Hajj pilgrimage to Mecca. So I keep throwing this stuff in because it's like while he's doing all the boxing and everything which is what he's most famous for he still kept up with the nation he still kept up with politics and all that and it's interesting because knowing the training that fighters have to go through like dude's dedicated to doing Definitely. everything that he wanted to do um and that pilgrimage actually inspired him and gave him a different outlook and greater spiritual awareness he said um, he his continued boxing success led to a rematch with Joe Frazier in 74, who had recently lost the title to George Foreman. Ali managed to pull off a unanimous decision in the rematch against Frazier, which set the world stage for the famous rumble in the jungle between George Foreman and Muhammad Ali. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the world-famous Rumble in the Jungle took place October 30th in 1974 in Zaire, Africa. And Ali was actually considered a pretty big underdog because of Foreman's fierce power. But Ali remained unintimidated and talked his usual smack talk, telling David Frost, if you think the world was surprised when Nixon resigned, wait till I whoop Foreman's behind. <laughs> Bars. <laughs> and he told the press... I've done something new for this fight. I done wrestled with an alligator. I done tussled with a whale, handcuffed lightning, and thrown thunder in jail. Only last week, I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. <laughs> Sounds like, like Lil Wayne or something. Right. I just want to know if he's writing this stuff beforehand or if that's off the Swing top. Because that's that'd be impressive. <laughs> Uh, and while considered the underdog by statistics, he was the absolute favorite among the citizens of Zaire, which led to the wildly popular chant, Ali Boumaye, everywhere he went. And it was a huge upset when Ali won, reclaiming his title of the world heavyweight champion. And that fight was watched by a record estimated 1 billion viewers worldwide at the time and considered the world's most watched live broadcast. That's a lot of people watching that fight. <laughs> um, Ali had several more fights before a third and final fight against Joe Frazier in Manila. So 
This bout is the famous thriller in Manila and was held October 1st, 1975. With sweltering temperatures reaching 100 degrees Fahrenheit, Ali tired himself out early and absorbed some punishment before making a comeback, resulting in Frazier's eyes swelling shut to the point his trainer would not allow him to answer the 15th round bell. <clears throat> That's pretty insane. Like, both eyes swollen so shut, like, he couldn't even open them. And after that fight, Ali can called Frazier the greatest fighter of all time, next to himself, of course. And the fight was so brutal and diminishing on the body that Ali actually considered retirement after that fight. Um, ultimately, Ali continued fighting and lost the title in February 1978 due to split decision against Leon Spinks. Um, a rematch occurred in September, drawing a crowd of 70,000 people and was the largest live gate in boxing history at the time. Ali won by decision, and that also made Ali the first heavyweight to win the championship belt three times. Ultimately, Ali Ali announced his retirement following that fight, but that was short-lived as he decided to come back for one more fight and attempt to win the title a fourth time. And it's important to note that this is around the time he began um, experiencing, like, vocal stutters and hand trembling. Um... He, I'm pretty sure it was, if it wasn't this one, it was one of the next fights, but the, the boxing commission like ordered him to get a medical evaluation and he specifically didn't go to the boxing commission's doctors so that he could make sure to get his license approved. Um, and they, they ultimately approved it even though he didn't use their doctors, but Ali still decided to fight Larry Holmes, and it has been called the worst sports event ever covered by Richie Giacchetti, a famous boxing writer. I might have just butchered his name. That's <laughs> uh, the fight had to be stopped after Ali's trainer stepped into the ring, instructing the ref to just, just call it. And it's Ali's first and only loss by referee stoppage. And despite cries for his retirement then... He chose to fight one more time, losing a 10-round decision on December 11th, 1981. Um, Ali married his third wife in 1977, shortly after his previous divorce. However, by 1986, they were divorced. And he married his fourth and final wife in November 1986, when he married Yolanda Lonnie Williams, who he first met at the age of six in Louisville. So just thought that was kind of interesting. Man's been all the, all around the world and came back to Louisville for his fourth wife, <laughs> his fourth and final wife. Um, in 1982, she had actually become his primary caregiver, and he sent her to graduate school at UCLA. And in 1992, she incorporated Greatest of All Time, Inc., Goat Inc., and to consolidate and license his intellectual properties for commercial purposes and served as the vice president and treasurer until the company was sold. In 1988, Ali completed another pilgrimage to Mecca and devoted his later years to giving speeches, writing, helping people, and giving to charitable causes and getting involved in politics. Um, So outside of his fight career... Ali has been involved in films, spoken word, rap, pro wrestling, TV, art, and politics. And while no longer fighting in the ring, he has continued to fight the rest of his life. He never stopped. Um, 
and particularly with his battle with Parkinson's, which definitely led to a gradual decline in his health. And again, it was what the like 80 or so 1980 when he started experiencing the hand trembling and stuff. So, um, in 98, Ollie and Michael J. Fox actually worked together to begin raising awareness and funding research. He ultimately succumbed to his declining health in June 2016 at the age of 74 and news quickly spread around the world and was felt internationally. Television coverage was extensive with ESPN even playing for four hours of commercial-free coverage. From politicians to sports stars, actors, and more, everyone was mourning and paying respects and giving tribute. Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher said Muhammad Ali belongs to the world, but he only has one hometown. His funeral service began in Louisville on June 9th with an Islamic janazah prayer. I apologize if I said that wrong. Uh, Prayer service at Freedom Hall. On June 10th, the funeral procession passed through the streets of Louisville, ending at Cave Hill Cemetery, where his body was buried during a private ceremony. A public service for Ali was held at KFC Yum Center with the eulogy given by Billy Crystal. His pallbearers included Will Smith, Lennox Lewis, and Mike Tyson, and his memorial was watched by an estimated 1 billion viewers around the world. And I think that shows how he was such a long time just fan favorite and icon because it was one of his early fights that broke records for being viewed by one billion people i was looking into that like one billion people now is amazing like that you can't get a, a billion people to do anything but back then there was only four billion people in the world half those people were probably asleep <laughs> okay <laughs> like nah, they stayed up for that fight man. Bro. <laughs> yeah like for them to get it, one out of four people in the world was watching that live so um that was amazing back then but even now like to get a billion people to watch that live like to pay homage to pay honor like that's that's respect yeah that's like, respect felt on an international level like like you said, when we started, he really transcends generation and everything. You know, he beyond borders, like he's just an inspiration and just definitely another person I'm proud to say is from Kentucky and especially from Louisville. And kind of like Hunter S. Thompson, like you can go around Louisville and find you know murals and different things i mean we have a street named after him you know uh, i remember in elementary school uh we were asked to do a a, a paper on black history month like p- pick a, a influential uh a person yeah a person of color and i was like muhammad ali definitely <laughs> like that was my gym of course. i did a paper on him and then like a month later it was a derby so they asked us to do a paper on somebody from from Louisville or Kentucky. I was like, <laughs> copy paste. <laughs> so is it plagiarism if you plagiarize no, yourself? Dude, I got an A, so it worked. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, not many names instill the sheer emotion that is felt when talking about Muhammad Ali. He truly was the goat. I mean, he really is the greatest. And he tra- again, he transcended so many societal, racial, and political barriers in his lifetime. And that doesn't even include going back to like his early battles with like dyslexia and things, you know. 
And he has inspired people for decades and was never afraid to be his true self. Whether you hated him or loved him when he was fighting, I believe most people grew to love him outside of the ring. And once you separate the fighter from the man, he was a genuine, humble, and caring person. He did not know how to give less than 110% of himself to anything he did, from his trash talk to his boxing to his religion and politics, you know. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Your hands can't hit what your eyes can't see. Like a saying like that, at least the first half of it, the whole world knows that. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Like, and not only do they know it, but most of the people who know the quote know who said it. Right. And that says a lot. Like, how many times have you been like, oh, who said that? You got to look it up sometimes, you know? And I think that really says a lot. And people are aren't going to stop knowing Muhammad Ali. They're still making movies and documentaries and everything else. So he's really transcended time. I mean, we have the Ali Museum. Like that's, yeah. We have, and, I mean, I think we could all do well to learn a lesson from Ali. His, his life is his story and full of teachings that have gone down in history and will continue to. So I was pretty excited to to make this episode actually because it i mean i've i've liked this series period so far but definitely being able to touch on the greatest of all time and say that he's from here right like like we said like everybody we've talked about so far definitely important for kentucky but i think this is the first person that we've talked about who's truly international who's touched all continents of you know everyone and loved throughout his entire career Unless you didn't bet on him. But (laughs) that's neither here nor there. Again, outside of the ring, once he stopped boxing, I don't think anybody could really have a a bad thing to say about him. Um, He was an inspiration. Definitely. So do you have anything else? No, that's it. (laughs) All right. I guess uh, with that, we'll call it on this one. Um, Again, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And check out our other channels. And uh, as always, be blessed. Bless someone around you. See you all next time. See you later.